Fighting for the Underdog, the podcast that follows the tales of compassion and bravery of animal rights activists all over the world. My name is Hannah Grant, and I'm the Administrative Assistant and Social Outreach Director at the Animal Law Firm. I will be taking over as a guest host for our lead attorney and founder, Christina Bergson, in order to create more content for our lovely viewers. As I interviewed these amazing people, I was truly inspired by the common theme of hope that they give to underdogs everywhere. They taught me that sometimes the greatest power an underdog possesses is never giving up hope. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Today, we have Alyssa Otis, guide dog mobility instructor and outreach specialist at Leader Dogs for the Blind. Leader Dogs for the Blind is a 100% philanthropically funded organization with the mission to empower people who are blind or visually impaired with lifelong skills for safe and independent daily travel. One of our staff members here at the Animal Law Firm has worked with Leader Dogs for the Blind, and we are very grateful for the work they do. So thanks for being our guest today, Alyssa. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, we can just dive right in then. Can you tell us more about your organization and what you do? Yeah. So like you said, Leader Dogs for the Blind, we're an organization that is set up to empower people who are blind and visually impaired with those lifelong skills for that safe and independent daily travel. We're based in Rochester Hills, Michigan, and we've actually been on the same property since 1939. Um, and I'm sure we'll go into you know some of the services that we offer, but we offer our guide dog services as well as long white cane training, our orientation and mobility services. So we we do a lot more than a lot of people know. Okay, great. Would you mind explaining how you got started a little bit? Sure. So I have been with the organization since 2012. And the first 10 years, I was a guide dog mobility instructor. So what that is, is that's somebody that does the formal training of the guide dogs, then matches them with their handler, who is blind or visually impaired. And then I also work with that team, with that client dog team for about three weeks on how to be successful using the dogs that I've trained. Uh, but back in January of 23, I moved into our marketing department and now I work in outreach, which is kind of the best of both worlds because I still get to work with clients, but I also get to kind of educate everybody on what Leader Dog does. Absolutely. Well, you can totally just tell us all about the services you provide um, going into detail in whatever fashion you'd like. Sure. So we provide multiple different services. So obviously we have the word dog in our name. So a lot of people know about our guide dog program, um, which is fantastic. It's a great program. We graduate close to 150 or so clients every year with dogs. But we also have some other programs that not everybody necessarily knows about right off the bat. Um, and our biggest one would be our long white cane training or our orientation and mobility training. So that program has been around for about 20 years. And that's for people that maybe a dog isn't right for them. Maybe they're not interested in getting a dog, but they still need help with, you know, their mobility aid. Um, and for some people, they do want a dog, but they really need to learn those orientation and mobility skills first in order to kind of come back and get that dog in the future. We also do youth orientation and mobility, which is for 16 and 17 year olds. And then we have a teen summer camp, which is for that same age range. But instead of focusing solely on orientation and mobility and travel skills, we're also working on leadership skills. We're doing the normal things that you would do at camp. We have a talent show and a high ropes course, and we go fishing and canoeing. Um, and all of our services are for people aged 16 and older, and that's for any of the services that we provide. Another thing that I want to mention about our services is that everything that we offer and all the programs that I just talked about are 100% completely free to our clients. 
Okay, perfect. Is there a reason that um, you chose 16 years and do you have any services for people under that who might need help in their daily life? So at this point, we don't work with people that are under the age of 16. And a lot of that is just lifestyle and responsibility. Uh, so a lot of kids that are younger than 16 are getting services in their school. Um, and 16 and 17 is really where we start noticing kind of that shift. Uh, you know, there are children who are not visually impaired that are out there getting their licenses that are kind of planning for their future. And so that's kind of why we really focused on 16 and 17 is where we start, because that's where a lot of life changes really kind of start to happen. That's not to say that in the future we won't work with people that are younger, um, but at this time it's it's 16 and up. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I'm sure that there's a lot of things that you can work with your school on and, and things like that to get help. So, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we can kind of get into the details of each of these services if if you'd like. Can you explain the process of training guide dogs? Yeah. So the process really starts at birth. So when the dogs are born for those first seven weeks, they're in a volunteer's home. And that volunteer is in charge of, you know, touching the dog's paws and getting the dog acclimated to different sounds and different flooring. Uh, then for about seven weeks to approximately a year old, they go out with a puppy raiser. And that puppy raiser is doing things like teaching them how to walk nicely on leash, hopefully teaching them to ignore those pesky squirrels. Um, and then after that year, they come back and they start their formal training. So during that formal training, it's about four months long. And that's where they work with somebody like myself, a guide dog mobility instructor. And we're teaching the dogs to stop at curbs. So we teach them to stop before they go into the street, just so that our client can stop and assess the traffic and make sure that they're crossing at a safe time. We also have the dogs stop once they cross the street, just to alert the client that, okay, we've made a successful crossing. Another thing that we teach the dogs to do during training is we teach them to avoid obstacles. So perhaps that's a bicycle laying in the middle of the sidewalk or a manhole cover that's missing. Um, and so, like I said, we spend about four months or so training the dogs to do those tasks. And then once those four months are up, that's when we really start looking at who could benefit from working with this specific dog. So every dog is kind of different. Some dogs prefer big cities. Some dogs prefer, you know, more rural areas. Some are faster, some are slower. Just like people, they have differences. And so we like to kind of try and make the best match possible and pick the right dog for the right person. Um, so that's kind of how the training of the dogs go. And then once we've made that match, we then call the client and suggest, you know, hey, we think we have a great dog for you. Are you interested in, in coming to work with this dog? And then we would spend time working with that client dog team on how to be successful. Okay, great. And what kind of training do you use? Do you use positive reinforcement or? Yep. Exactly. So we have learned that positive reinforcement a lot of times will not only teach the dog quicker, but it'll really solidify the skills. So in training, we use a clicker and marker words. Um, for those that are not familiar with that, what that basically is, is we want to reward the dog for the good things they're doing more so than punishing them for the negative things. We found that using food reward is a really good way of doing this. Um, and as opposed to telling a dog, no, you did this wrong, we want to say, yes, you did that right. Keep doing that. Um, and we find that they pick up on the skills a lot quicker that way. Absolutely. Okay, great. And just out of curiosity, is there certain breeds that you try to obtain more or are you using all breeds? How does that work? So in the past, we've used you know a lot of different breeds. 
what we now have is our own breeding colony. So we have about 75 dogs that all live with volunteers. So they live in homes with families. Um, we only breed the females four or less times. Uh, and then the male dogs can breed for as long as they enjoy the job and as long as, as they're being successful. Um, and we use Labrador retrievers and golden retrievers at this time. We also will uh, cross those dogs or mix those dogs. So we might have half Labrador, half golden retriever. And the reason that we use our own breeding is because it allows us to temperament test and just to know their medical history. Because when we're giving these dogs to clients, we just want to make sure that we're giving these clients the healthiest dogs possible. Um, and, you know, so in the past we have worked with rescues and we have worked with donated dogs, uh, but we were finding that there were a lot more medical concerns that would then be passed on to the client. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That makes sense. Especially, I assume all the training and the time you're putting in, you want these dogs to live for a long time. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about what the application process looks like for getting a dog? Yeah, so we have a few different applications, kind of depending on the program that you are interested in. But in order to get a dog, your application process is quite extensive. You know, we are working with two living beings at this point. So we want to make sure that you're either A, a good candidate for this dog, and B, you also have a good environment for the dog. So we ask a little bit about what do you do on a daily basis? What are things that you hope to do with a dog? We also ask for a video of your home environment, just so we can make sure that the dog's going to be living somewhere that's safe and that is conducive to having a dog live there. Make sure that you have an area that you're going to relieve your dog, an area to put the dog's food, where their bed's going to go. Um, and then we, of course, ask for Refer uh, references, personal references, because we want to make sure that you don't have any sort of questionable animal behavior in the past. You also need to be six months free of seizures or fainting. And then we ask for some doctor's information. So we ask for a vision report to make sure that you are considered legally blind. And then we also ask for a physician's report just to make sure that you are healthy enough because training is quite extensive. Absolutely. Yeah, that Totally makes sense. Um, and it, I think it reflects on your organization and how much you care about the animals and their well-being as well. So, yeah, absolutely. It's very important to us that we're making sure to put these dogs in the hands of people that are going to not only use them as a good mobility aid, but also treat them well. Absolutely. What does the average timeline look like for both the application and then actually um, obtaining a guide dog? So for our application, it's really as quickly as you can get it filled out. Um, we can kind of look over it. So we have an admissions committee that meets once a week that looks over all of the applications that have come in for the last week or two. Uh, and they are, again, looking at all of those things that I had just mentioned, making sure that the dog will be in a good environment, making sure that you have the skills to be successful with a dog. So the time from applying to the time of being accepted into the program can really be as short as, as one to two weeks, honestly. Um, but how long does it take to get a dog? That really depends on a few things. So like I said before, we want to make sure that we're making the best match. So we're trying to make sure that we're picking the right dog for you. And for example, if say you are an extremely fast walker who lives in a really big city, who likes to travel internationally a bunch, it might take us a while to find a dog that fits that kind of lifestyle. Um, and then we also on that application do ask for dog preferences. So not everybody has a preference, but there are some people that say, I prefer a black dog or I prefer a lab or I prefer a female. And so we also try and take that into account. So if you're more open about what breed and gender and color you want, generally the quicker we can get you a dog, um, but not always because it really does depend on what you do day to day. Okay. 
Great. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah, I wish there was an easy answer. We could ask that a lot. It would be nice yeah. to be like, oh, it's, you know, X amount of months, but it, it really just depends. It could be as soon as, you know, three weeks all the way up to, you know, you could be waiting closer to a year. It really depends. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. And obviously, I'm I'm sure people kind of realize that if they're having lots of different preferences. Um, exactly. Okay, great. Well, obviously, there, there are starting to be more options for people to find guide dogs and, and different organizations. Can you tell us how you feel you make a difference in your industry? Yeah. So there are a lot of, uh, or not necessarily a lot of, but quite a few other guide dog organizations. And one of the great things about working in this field is that we all do get along. So we believe that there's, you know, a time and a place for each person to do their research and find out what organization fits them best. A few of the things that Leader Dog has going for us is that we have a deaf-blind program, which is something that that not other schools or other organizations have, where we can work with people who are both deaf and blind. We're also one of two schools in the United States that have the long white cane orientation and mobility training. But really, the difference that we're trying to make overall in the industry is that only about 10% of people who are legally blind travel independently. And that means for 90% of the people who are legally blind, they need assistance to travel anywhere, uh, whether that be out to get their mail or to church or to the grocery store. And as an organization, what we're trying to do and how we want to make a difference is we want to raise that 10%. That's really our ultimate goal is to raise that to help people become more independent with whatever program and service they decide to you know, get from us. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's amazing all the different services you offer. And I think it is important to emphasize that like the you have to train both the dog and the person and and match them. It's a really complicated process. So um, I'm so glad that you got to explain yeah. that more. OK, awesome. Well, I know you mentioned your teen summer camp earlier. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so our teen summer camp is incredible. It is one week every summer, and it's for 16 and 17-year-olds, and they come from all over the United States and Canada. Again, this is completely free. So we pay to fly these youth in. We pay for them to stay on our property in Rochester Hills for a week. Um, you know, all of their food, everything is is completely included. Last year and the year before, we gave them uh, aftershock bone conducting headphones. And really what it is is a week of just hanging out with other kids that – know a little bit more about what you're going through. So for a lot of these kids, they're coming in and they might be the only blind or visually impaired person in their school or in their neighborhood or in their church. And here they get to come and meet other people that are using the same technology and assistive technology they're using and going through the same, you know, kind of changes as they're getting older. Um, And so we bring these kids in, they get to make these lasting friendships, um, but also they get to do those normal camp things. You know, we do talent shows and high ropes courses, and they even all do get to spend a day with a guide dog and a guide dog mobility instructor to see if in the future that might be something that they're interested in. So it's kind of like a mini test drive that they get to do. Um, And that's usually one of the highlights of camp. Um, but it's, like I said, it's just a fun week. Everybody goes home absolutely exhausted, um, with an entire contact list of people to stay in touch with. Wow. That sounds amazing. How do people sign up for the summer camp and how can people find it? So the summer camp you can find on our website, which is leaderdog.org. And we usually start the application process in the new year and it goes until about March or so. March or April is when we kind of stop taking those applications, Um, 
And they would apply very similarly to how they would apply to any other program. We ask some basic questions about, you know, what do you do on a daily basis? What are some of your hopes for the future? Um, and of course, those vision reports and doctor reports as well. Okay, great. Well, obviously, you have a lot of different services you offer, and I'm, I'm sure that you can use help wherever you can. So do you have volunteer opportunities or pe can people reach out um, if they're interested in helping out? We have so many volunteer opportunities. So we are a nonprofit. We have a little under 200 team members that are actually employed by Leader Dogs. Um, however, we have almost a thousand volunteers and that includes people that are raising those puppies for that first year that I mentioned. It includes the host homes for the breeding stock dogs that we use. Um, but there's also volunteer opportunities on campus. So there are some people that are really focused on the dogs and they want to help the dogs that are here for training or help with the puppies. There's some people that want to work directly with our clients. For some, that looks like driving to the airport and picking up the clients and bringing them to our residence building in Rochester Hills. For some, it's acclimating them to the residence once they're here. We have bingo night that we always use volunteers for. So there's just a ton of different opportunities. And then there's also people that don't really necessarily want to work with our clients or our dogs, but they want to help out in some way. So we have administrative volunteer opportunities where they can file applications and, and fill out paperwork for people, um, doing surveys for, for people over the phone. So we truly could not, absolutely could not do what we do without our volunteers. Absolutely. It sounds like there's a lot of different options, which is always super nice. And I know that you can always use any type of help. So I, I think it's um it's awesome that you have that. What is the yeah. best way for people? I know you mentioned your website um, to find your organization. Do you have social media? And if so, could you plug that here? Yeah, of course. So, yep, we are leaderdog.org. That's singular, um, leader dog. We also have a podcast that I'm going to, of course, plug on your podcast here. Um, but it's called, it's called Taking the Lead. And that can be found anywhere that podcasts stream. And that really goes and talks to clients, volunteers. It just gives you more information about the organization. We also use Instagram and Facebook um, and a little bit of, of Twitter and, of course, LinkedIn. Okay, great. Awesome. Well, we will go ahead and take a little break here and we can come back and talk some more. Awesome. Sounds great. Hi, everybody. We're back with Alyssa Otis with Leader Dogs for the Blind, and we're going to keep on talking about all the amazing work they do. So I was hoping you could tell us what has been the most rewarding part of your work with your organization so far. So I would say that the most rewarding part of the job and working with the organization is actually to hear what the clients do once they return home. So for example, I had a client, gosh, it's been nine years now that when she came in, she didn't really do a whole bunch. She, you know, liked to stay home. She didn't feel confident going out and traveling. And I ended up giving her this dog, which just really opened up her world. She then decided I'm going to cruise. And I think she went to like 35 different countries. Um, you know, she was walking a ton. She got in shape. She felt better. She joined her sisterhood at her church. Um, you know, I've had other clients who are in college that once they get their dog, they decide I'm going to join all of these clubs. I'm going to do all of this, you know, fun stuff. So I think the rewarding part is just seeing the, the independence and seeing the confidence in our clients once they return home. Yes, I'm sure many of them keep in touch with you. I'm just curious, do you offer like um, support after they return home? Yeah. So once they return home, we tell them that we are here for the entire working life of that dog. 
So we have some planned calls where we call them one month, two months, three months, six months, and 11 months after they leave just to check in. But if for any reason they need any support either in between those phone calls or for those eight to 10 years after, um, they are more than welcome to call us. We'll try and work with them over the phone on any problem solving. And if we can't fix it over the phone, we'll actually fly out or drive out depending on where they live and work with them in their home environment. So we always want to be there, not only for the client, but for the dog uh, as well and make sure that everybody's successful. Okay, great. Yeah, that's amazing. I I know this is like the worst part to talk about, but have you had any clients had have multiple dogs at this point? Oh, sure. You know, and that can happen at, at a few different times. So some clients will work their dog for eight to 10 years and then they'll come back and they'll get a successor dog. And then on the flip side, there are some times, and we talk about this a lot on our podcast as well, that somebody will go home with a dog and it'll be working. And then for whatever reason, it just stops working. Um, or they realize that it's just not exactly what they were hoping for or expecting. And so at that point, some people will come back to get a different dog. Um, you know, of course, we always make sure that any dog that we place out there has somewhere to go. Um, so if somebody does decide that a dog is not right for them, or if the dog works for those eight to 10 years and then retires and they have nobody to care for it, leader dog will always come in and help them find a placement for that dog. Um, but it does happen whether it be, you know, eight to 10 years, which is what we hope, or sometimes a little bit less. Okay, great. Awesome. Thanks for explaining that. I meant to ask earlier, but... Okay, yeah. awesome. Well, what are some of the greatest challenges you face on the job? So I would say that the greatest challenge kind of goes goes with what I was just talking about as far as it doesn't always work out smoothly. So in an ideal world, I would put a stamp on this dog's forehead or on their long white cane and I would mail it to the client and say, there you go, you're all set. Um, but there's so much more that needs to be taught aside from just receiving either the dog or the cane. And sometimes it doesn't quite work out. Um, we always say that it's kind of, this job is an art, not a science. And so there's no formula that we can just plug in and say, yep, this is the perfect dog for the perfect person. Um, there's no such thing as perfect. There's a lot of hard work that goes into it. And so I would say that that's some of the greatest challenges is sometimes it's just a lot of hard work and then it does work out, but those were still challenges to face. And sometimes it's a lot of hard work and then it doesn't quite work out with that dog. Um, which of course is a conversation that you have with the client, uh, in which, of course, we always try and figure out why it didn't work out and what we can do to make something work out for them. Absolutely. I mean, it makes sense. And and I'm sure, you know, regardless of how much training you give, there has to be like that relationship as well. So absolutely. It's a okay. huge part. Yeah, great. Well, OK, Um, I know that just in the animal welfare and animal fields in general, there are so many misconceptions, but what is just one common misconception about your organization or just the industry in general that you'd like to address? So one of the big ones and, and talking more so about animal welfare, uh, you know, even in particular is that these dogs get work, work, work and no play. Um, and that is absolutely the opposite. Um, you know, when they're wearing their leather harness and they're guiding, they're absolutely in working mode, um, just like we are. You know, we get dressed, we go to work, we're in working mode. And then when we get off work, we go out with our friends, we hang out, we play, we do whatever we want. And that's the same as these dogs. So when they're in harness, they're serious, they're working. But then when they get home or when they get to their destination, if that harness is taken off, they're they're a dog. They're a pet. They can play with toys. They can run and play with other dogs, other animals. They can get loved on by the entire family. Um, it's, it's really just 
you know, being a, a dog at that point. Absolutely. And w- would you also be able to address, is it true that people should avoid petting working dogs when they have their vests on? Yeah. So when a dog is wearing either a vest, such as any other sort of service dog or a dog that is being raised for that first year, or if they're wearing that leather harness, we really discourage anybody from petting them because what that can do then is if the client allows people or if people just naturally come up and pet this dog, then the dog starts working. The dog might start looking for other people like, oh, I know I'm supposed to keep my human, you know, safe and walk straight, but there's a guy over on my left that looks like he really wants to pet me. Maybe I'll go over to him and he'll pet me. So you always want to not interact with a working dog because they're doing a really serious job. Now, you can ask somebody, hey, is it okay if I pet your dog? Sometimes people will say, you know, yes, let me take off the harness and you can pet the dog. Um, And some people will say, you know, no, thank you. Not right now. They're working. Absolutely. I definitely wanted to clarify that because I know that can be a misconception as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a time and a place to get pets and to get love and to play. um, But when they're working is not necessarily it. Yes, that totally makes sense. And I think also playing into that is just um, understanding like positive reinforcement and that when they're working, they're not being punished. They're, you know, and when they're they're getting treats. So and that's it. And a lot of people also, you know, think that all of these dogs that we're breeding, that we're making them do this job, we will easily let a dog go from our program or what we call career change a dog if they don't want to do the job. So there's body language that tells us that they don't want to do it. There's, you know, just a lot of different things that the instructors look for over their four months of formal training that if a dog doesn't want to do the job, we're not going to make a dog do the job. Who would want to work for eight to 10 years and do something that they didn't enjoy? So the dogs that actually make it through our program are ones that are enthusiastic about the work and see that harness come out and run over to that harness and put it on. Absolutely. Okay, great. Well, what is one of the most important lessons your organization has taught you so far? I would say that Leader Dog really strives to teach patience and understanding. So that's not just patience working with the clients and the dogs, you know, together, but working with the dogs on their own, you know, having patience, um, listening to your gut, listening to what these dogs are telling you. Um, Like I said before, it's an art, not a science. And so patience is super important, especially when you're trying to use that positive reinforcement. You know, we're hoping that these dogs are going to make these grand and and perfect decisions on their own so that we can reward them. And sometimes that requires you just standing there and letting the dog kind of figure something out before you can reward them positively. Um, So I would say that that's something that Leader Dog definitely tries to to push forward. Absolutely. Is there, I'm curious, um, after the puppy training phase, when they go into the more advanced training, do you train the dogs together or separately or how does that work? So each guide dog mobility instructor has about eight to 10 dogs at a time. However, you're only ever working hands-on with one at a time. So it's, you know, you don't have one in your left hand and one in your right hand. Um, So the dogs do take turns. So while you're out with one of your dogs, um, you have a few dogs that are waiting their turn. And then you have a few dogs that are sitting with volunteers or having playtime or just getting enrichment, maybe a peanut butter bone um, or something like that. And so you are still working eight to 10 dogs in that day, but not all at once. Okay, great. And do they, do they live on the facility at that time or do they still live with volunteers? 
So for their formal training, they live in their facility here in Rochester Hills. Um, every dog has their own suite. So at night, they're all sleeping on their own. Um, you know, we have Corunda beds in each suite and we have unlimited fresh water source as well. We have these kind of PVC pipes with these liquors. I always say it's kind of like a, a hamster liquor. Um, where the dog just licks it and water comes out. Um, and then during the day, some of them have sweet buddies, so they can hang out with more than one dog in their suite. They're large enough for that. Um, we also let them out of their suites into a main area where we have some climbing, you know, equipment, some children equipment kind of for them to climb on, uh, some Kongs and Nyla bones and different toys kind of thrown around for them to run and play with. Okay, great. Awesome. Thank you for clarifying that. I uh, should have asked that earlier, but I'm glad that I got to address it. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Well, obviously, we've covered a lot, and I'm sure that there are going to be people who are interested. So do you have any advice for others interested in learning more or getting involved in the organization? Yeah, well, first off, like I said, you know, our website, leaderdog.org, but even more so on our website is our virtual learning. So on our website, all the way to the right at the top is a resources tab in which you can click that and it will take you to our virtual learning area. And there we have an area for potential clients, graduates, family and friends, and people just interested in the organization, as well as blind rehab professionals. And you can click on each of these little categories and they've got so many more videos. So we've got some videos that are just, you know, for fun, like descriptive yoga. Um, but then we also have videos of how you can help somebody if you come across somebody who is blind or visually impaired. Uh, we have family testimonials. We have a tour of our campus. So you can really kind of get an idea of where these dogs live and where the clients live when they come here. Um, so there's just tons of different videos and we're consistently updating those. Um, it's always a great place to start. And on there too, we have a web series that we just did. That's a four part series that takes you through the entire life cycle of a leader dog from breeding to graduation. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that sounds super helpful. And I'm sure having the um, visual component as well will help. Do you post yeah. um, similar content on social media as well? We do. We don't post our long videos on social media. Um, however, we will post client testimonials and different stories, as well as things that are just going on with the organization. We post things about what programs and services we're offering and how people can apply. Um, but for that real meat of, of the information, most of it's on our website. Okay, perfect. Well, I kind of always like to end it and wrap start wrapping it up on a on a positive note so we've made it to my cheesy question but <laughs> what is your best tip for making the world a better place this is something that I talk about when I do school presentations a lot and the biggest thing is realizing that people have more in common than they have that is different so I think oftentimes people will see somebody who's blind or visually impaired with either a long white cane or a dog, and they'll just kind of move aside and stay silent. Um, you know, maybe they don't want to get into somebody's way, or maybe they just don't know how to interact with somebody who they perceive is, is so different than them. But if people talk to each other and, you know, just get to know each other, even just a simple, hi, good morning, you can realize how similar you are and all of the things that you have in common. Um, so I always like to say, you know, if you see somebody that's maybe perceived as different than you, don't avoid, but actually interact. I love that. Yeah. And that's the only way you can learn more about them. So exactly. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm, I have to assume that, or at least for me, seeing someone with a dog would actually make me want to approach them even more. (laughs) It does. It does. Yeah. We, we have signs on their harness that say, please don't pet me. I'm working. And oftentimes we joke that that's just something for people to read as they're interrupting you while you're working. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I can totally. (laughs) Okay, great. Well, wrapping up a bit, what are some of the biggest things you're looking forward to in the future? So in the future as an organization, I would say is hoping that more people can realize what services we provide, you know, realizing that we have more than just our guide dog program and servicing as many clients as we can. There's such a shortage of people being able to get these services um, that I'm really just looking forward to kind of spreading our mission and spreading the services that we provide in hopes that we can, you know, gain more, more clients to help. Absolutely. Well, I'm so excited for you and to see all the amazing work that you continue to do. I I think that you're just like a, such a great organization. So I'm so glad I got to talk to you. And what is the best way for our listeners to support you? I would say the best way is to be an ambassador. So learning about what we do and telling people. There's so many people out there, even locally in Michigan here, that don't know about all of our services. So imagine, you know, nationwide and internationally, people that don't know what we do. So just telling people what they learned today is always huge. You know, of course, checking out our volunteer opportunities that we were talking about, interacting with people, like I said, that you might perceive as different than you. Um, And of course, like I said, we're completely philanthropically funded. So donations, you know, and donating to our organization is always a big help. And that way we can kind of continue that work that we're doing and and spread that positive, uh, those positive programs. Absolutely. I'm sure there's so many people out there who would be interested and are just waiting to find out about your organization. So hopefully, hopefully this can help as well. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully. Okay, great. Well, is there anything you'd like our audience to know that I haven't thought to ask you? Yeah, the only other thing that I can really think is reach out if you think that you can benefit from our services. If you're unsure, if you just have questions about whether, you know, this is something for you or whether you know somebody in your life that you think they might benefit from the services, reach out because we would love to talk, um, you know, to anybody about any of our services that we can provide. Okay, great. And is the best way for that? Do you have um, a contact us through your website or what's the best? Yep. You can absolutely contact us through our website. So um, if you just go to leaderdog.org, you can type in all of your information. It sends an email to our outreach team, uh, which is myself and my uh, manager, Leslie Hoskins. And one of us is usually the ones that will will give you a call back or an email back. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm glad. I hope that we covered everything you wanted to talk about. And I, I feel like we crammed a lot in. Um, so thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Of course. That was such an inspiring interview. I learned so much and I hope you did too. If you were moved as much as I was and want to support this amazing organization, please visit our website at theanimallawfirm.com and check out our merch page as all profits from merchandise go towards supporting the guests on the show or follow the links to donate to this organization directly. If you want to support the podcast, please share us on social media and give us a five-star review. Anything helps. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, fellow underdogs.